Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We want to welcome you back. And for all our listeners who consistently listen to us, we appreciate you. We thank you so much for being engrossed uh, with the science of the covenant. And I want to welcome, if you are a new viewer, I want to welcome you also. Uh, we appreciate it. We hope you learned something. If you know, we have been studying, uh, the pastor has been giving us uh the science of the sacrifice, detailing a little bit more about the sacrifice of Yeshua. So you want to stay on board. We on part nine of that. And again, before I forget, I'm Boyce Washington. And on the other side of me is the pastor Richard Washington. And we are the science of the covenant. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, or even if you're watching it and it's not live, you can email us at science of the covenant at gmail.com. If it is live, and you have access to the chat, drop your message or comment or question in the chat, and we will try to get to it while we're on air. We want you to stay tuned because during let's talk about it, as I said last week, we're going to be dealing with leaven because in a few weeks, Passover is going to be here. And we want to make sure not only we have the leaven out of our homes, but out of the representation of re. Uh, getting leaven out of our system, which meaning sin. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. So pastor, we are on uh science of the sacrifice part nine. Okay. Thank you very much. And what we want to do is to continue where we left off uh, in our last discourse and in doing so we were showing how, the blood in the water and how it was being applied in the court of the sanctuary. And we also pointed out that some of the blood that was taken from the lamb was also put at the bottom of the altar. And on this discourse today, we want to show when they put the blood on the horns of the altar, what did that mean? What did that symbolize? What was that, what was that all about? putting blood on the horns of the altar. And so we want to continue in that vein, this uh, Shabbat. So before we get into the word, let us have a word of prayer as we get ready to go into the scriptures. Our loving Father, we thank you for another privilege of being able to come before you. Thank you for another week. And as we've gone through another week and you have brought us, we want to give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory. Magic the dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. And now, Father, as we engage in another study of sacrology or the study of the science of the sacrifice that you would imbue our minds with the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to understand the things that you have inspired your servants in days of old to write, that we may be able to understand it and apply it to our lives, that when Yeshua does come, we can find ourselves walking in a way that he would have us to walk and that walk leads to eternity. This is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, what we want to do in getting started here today, we want to turn to the book of Leviticus. And the first a few verses we want to start off with is in Leviticus. We want to look at 
the fourth chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter four, and it's in that particular uh, chapter that we want to begin with in Leviticus chapter four. Now here in Leviticus chapter four, we want to look at a couple of verse, uh, couple of verses, and that is Leviticus chapter four, and we want to look at verses 33 through 34. Those are the particular passages we want to start off with. Okay, now here the Bible says in verses 33 and 34 of the fourth chapter of Leviticus, it says, And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offerings and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offering made by fire unto Yah. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed and it shall be forgiven him. So we are told in this passage of scripture where the sinful blood of the lamb was to be applied on the brazen altar of burnt offerings. It was to be applied to the four horns on the four corners of the altar. So let's get a little bird's eye view of the altar. Let us turn to Exodus. And in Exodus, we want to turn to chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27. And in that particular verse, in that particular chapter, that is, we want to look at verses 1 and 2. Now, here the Bible says in Exodus chapter 27, starting with verse 1 through verse 2, it says, And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same and thou shalt overlay it with brass. So here Moses was instructed to make an altar out of wood and they call it wood, shittim wood. Some Bibles call it acacia wood, and they were to make the altar, and then they were to take and make some horns on the altar out of acacia wood, and they were to overlay it with brass. Now, the same uh, trend of thought, let us turn now to Exodus chapter 38. And in Exodus chapter 38, again, we want to read the first two verses. And the Bible says, and he made the altar of burnt offerings of shittim wood. Five cubits was the height thereof, and five cubits the breadth thereof. It was four square and three cubits and the height thereof. And he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it. The horns thereof were of the same, and he overlaid it with brass. So what we are looking at here is an altar that was in the court of the, of the uh, sanctuary. 
And the priest, they wash off some blood in the laver and this other piece of furniture, which is the brazen altar of burnt offerings, they take some blood and put at the bottom. But now we are understanding that Elohim told them that they should take the blood, some of the blood, and put it on the altar. So when we consider the places on the altar where the sacrifice, where the sacrificial blood was to be applied, it was primarily on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the altar where they were located. These four horns were made out of two types of wood, namely acacia wood and brass. Acacia wood was a hard, firm wood. This wood was made in the form of a horn and overlaid with brass. Brass was durable, a durable metal. The wood overlaid with brass gave the horn strength and durability. Horns in the Bible represent at least four things, respectively, authority, power, strength, and victory. So when you think about a horn, those are the things that they represent, authority, power, strength, and victory. Thus, the application of the sinful blood on the horns of the altar meant that the repentant who had sinned had gotten his authority, power, strength, and victory over sin by the blood of the Lamb. Moreover, the display of the sinful blood of the Lamb also testified of the capabilities of the repentant that the Lamb was the sinless sin-bearer. The Lamb's blood had not only set the repentant free from sin, but it also had the authority, the power, the strength, and the victory to carry the burden of sin. The Lamb's blood of sin inherited from the repentant subject the Lamb to both the sentence and the penalty of death. So when the repentant brought that Lamb, he was bringing an innocent animal, and by putting the sins on that animal, then the animal gave his innocent, sinless life uh, to the repentant. This is why when they were to bring a sacrifice, the Bible says it should not have a spot, wrinkle, or, or a blemish. If there's anything that was defiled about the lamb sacrifice, they couldn't bring it. It had to be a perfect sacrifice because it's going to represent a perfect life. So when the repentant brought that lamb, it had to be perfect. And when they confessed their sins, then their sinful life went on the lamb, and the lamb's pure and innocent life went upon the sinner. So this is why they had the blood or the righteous blood of the lamb. But when the lamb accepted the sins of the repentant, then the lamb became contaminated and the repentant became pure because they exchanged blood, which means they exchanged their lives. So the sinful blood of the lamb was a testimony in the behalf of the repentant. And the evidence of such was the sinful blood placed upon the horns of the altar. The sinful blood on the horns of the altar was proof 
that the innocent gave its blood for the guilty. The innocent gave his life for the guilty life. So let's see what is going on with the ministry of putting blood on the horns of the lamb. Now we want to turn again back to the book of uh, Leviticus. And in Leviticus, we want to look at chapter 8. And in chapter 8, we want to look at verse 15. That's, that's Leviticus chapter 8. And we want to look at verse 15. Now, Genesis 8:15 says, And he slew it, and Moses took the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar round about with his finger and purified the altar. Okay. So the Bible says in order to purify the altar, he say he took that blood and he put it on the horns of the altar in order to purify the altar. Okay, let us now turn again into a similar text in the book of uh, Leviticus. We also want to look at chapter 9 and verse 9. Now the Bible says here in the ninth verse of the ninth chapter of Leviticus, the sons of Aaron brought that blood unto him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar. So the Bible says some of the blood that not only went to the bottom and, and was washed off, but they gave it to Aaron, and Aaron took some of the blood, and he put it on the horns of the altar. Okay, let us now turn again to uh, in the book of Leviticus. And this time we want to use chapter 16. And in the 16th chapter, we want to go to verse number 18. Leviticus 16, 18 says, And he shall go out unto the altar that is before Yah, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. So we see it was significant that they put it upon the horns of the altar. This is the specification of where Elohim told them to put the blood. So as we pursue this subject, what we want to uh, further understand is the history of the horn. Let us look at a little history of the horn. The Hebrew word for horn in these texts is quirin, Q-E-R-E-N, quirin. Quirin Kirin, Quirin, Quirin is a general name for a horn. Okay, so when you had a horn, that was a general name. There were a plethora of horns that were used in biblical times. They had a whole lot of variety of horns. Okay, so the horns was just a general name, but they had quite a few horns. Some horns were uh, generally obtained from various animals, such as the ram, the unicorn, and the goat. And there were, <clears throat> there were not only different kinds of horns, but there were also different purposes for horns. Horns were used to communicate by blowing them in a certain way to send a message of some kind. 
they were oil containers used for anointing oils purposes. Oftentimes when a prophet or a king was anointed, then the prophet would have a ink, a oil horn in which that horn contained oil. I believe it was David when Samuel came to anoint David that he had a horn full of oil that he could draw from in order to anoint him to be the king of Israel. So we see that when we talk about a horn, it has different purposes. They can blow the horn to give a certain message. They could uh, use it to carry their oil to do some anointing. They were ink containers used for writing purposes. There's a number of instances in the Bible, especially I believe in Ezekiel chapter nine and a number of verses talks about how the holy ones or, or the angels, they had ink horns. And these ink horns were being used for the writing purposes. So we see there's a number of things that the horns were used for. Moreover, horns were used in biblical prophecies to represent kings, kingdoms, or empires and rulers. Furthermore, they were spoken of as having power, toughness, might, and strength. So when you think about a horn, you think it's about something that has tremendous power. It has might and strength, toughness. All of this was a, about a horn. Because as you can see that the horns that they put on the altar was made out of wood and brass. And that type of wood that they used was one of the most firm and durable woods one could use. And brass sometimes is stronger than iron. And so we know that these horns of wood and brass, that they had a tremendous strength. When horns are spoken of in a holy writ, they are referenced to one's strength or weakness. Let us notice a few passages in the Bible that deals with the horn. And so let us notice just uh, uh, a few of them and see our horn is being enlightened enlightened or highlighted in the book of Psalms. So let us turn to the book of Psalms. And in Psalms, we want to use chapter 18, Psalms, chapter 18. And we want to look at the 18th chapter. However, we want to look at verse number two. Psalms 18, two says this. It said, Yah is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my L, my strength, in whom I would trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. So notice in couched in Psalms 18, 2, it says that Elohim was the horn of my salvation, the horn of my salvation, okay? Now, let us turn to Psalms, the 75th division, Psalms, division 75. Okay, now here in Psalms, the 75th division, and we're looking at verses four and five. Now the Bible says, 
And I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly, and to the wicked lift up the horn. Verse 5 says, lift not up your horns on high, speak not with a stiff neck. So here in Psalms 75, verses 4 and 5, it speaks about the lifting up of the horn or not lifting up the horn. So here in this particular, in these particular verses, it is talking about the horn not being lifted up. Okay, let us go to another text found in the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at the 89th division, Psalms 89. And in the 89th division, we're going to look at a couple of texts. The first one we want to look at is Psalms 89, verse 17, which says, For thou art the glory of their strength, in that thy favor our horn shall be exalted. So here we find in this particular Psalms is that uh, in, in that when we read it, it's talking about the horn in the sense of being exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. Okay. Then we look in the same 89th division of the Psalms, and this time we look at verse number 24. And verse 24 says of the 89th division, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Okay? So what we are seeing here in these verses, it speaks of the exaltation of a horn. So generally speaking, a horn symbolizes one, one's or something's strength. So when you want to talk about the strength of something, oftentimes the Bible, they use the horn. The horn of salvation may be understood as the power of salvation. You see? So when they speak about Yah as the horn of our salvation, they are speaking about him as the strength of our salvation. That's what a horn means, strength. And then when it talks about or speaks in terms of not lifting up the horn, lifting not up the horn may be looked upon as not lifting up one's might or his strength or his power. When you say don't lift that horn up, you're saying don't lift up his power. <clears throat> don't lift up his strength. Don't lift up his toughness. When you said don't lift up his horn, because all of that is in the horn. And when the psalmist says, speak of the exaltation of the horn, he is exalting the horn, maybe viewed as exalting one's strength. So when you exalt the horn, you're exalting the might, the power, the toughness, and the strength of an individual. With this history of the horn, let us now apply this, apply this to the placing of the blood on the horns of the brazen altar. 
Now, I had the blood to the rapture. There was when when the priest when the priest took of the blood which was the sinful blood and placed it upon the horns of it. It was an indication of two basic testimonies. So we want to look at these two basic testimonies when the priest took the time to put that blood upon the horns of the altar. The first testimony comes from that of the repentant. In other words, when repentant as uh, came to the sanctuary and confessed his sins over the goat, and they took that same blood and put it on the horns of the altar, the repentant as a result of exchanging his blood for that of the lamb's blood meant that he had gotten the power over sin. The blood on the horns of the altar signified to the fact that the repentant had gotten victory over sin by exchanging his life for the life of the lamb. So the first testimony is that when you saw that blood on the horns of the altar, it was telling us that somebody had gotten a victory over sin through the blood, through the life of the lamb. Okay. Now, the second testimony comes from that of the lamb. The lamb, as a result of exchanging its blood for that of the repentance blood, meant that he had been slain for sin. The lamb now that has been slain is a testimony to the world that the blood on the horns of the altar signified to the fact that the lamb had given its life for the repentant and in such an exchange it died for the repentant. So when we looked at the blood that was on the horn, it was saying somebody or the lamb had died for the sinner and the sinner could be made free to go sinless. And so what we want to do is look at that and to know that there's a testimony that when you see blood on the horns of the altar, it meant that the repentant or the sinner had gotten power over sin through the blood of the lamb. And it also gives a testimony of how the lamb exchanges life for a sinful life and died for those in whom he was trying to save to give strength to the sinner to be able to live. Now that we have observed the blood of the horns on the altar, next week what we want to do is to go to the second ministry. Now the second ministry takes place inside of the sanctuary tabernacle, and we want to see how the blood was appropriated there inside of the sanctuary tabernacle. Our loving Father, as we see the blood that was applied to the horns of the sanctuary, it gives the sinner power over sin. That blood is powerful enough to save us, but at the same time, it gives us testimony of who died for our sins. So help us to be able to understand what is going on with the sacrificial system that we may be involved in in such a way that we can get the redemption that you promise to give to each of your children. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.
So the horn um, symbolizes uh, strength and power. Yes, mm-hmm. a horn. So it's like in days of old, you had animals. You know, mm-hmm. they used to fight with their horns. Yeah. Horns is very significant. Because I know when you look at the rhino and the ram, and mm-hmm. even the goat, they use their horns to fight with. Yeah, that's what it is. Power. So with the sprinkling or placing the blood on the horn after the lamb has been slain is basically in a way saying that strength of that horn is overcoming that sin. Mm -hmm. And when they put the blood on there. Mm -hmm. And it was saying that the repentant who had come Mm -hmm. had power over sin through that blood. Mm. Mm. Now you said the Hebrew word for horn is Karen. Kirin. Yeah, Kirin. 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 Yeah, that's a general term used for horns. You know, you had the ram's horn. Um, you had the, um, you may have the, uh, uh, the, the goat horn. Mm-hmm. I know they had the unicorn of, uh, horn of the unicorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was just a general name. And then once you get into it, then you know, you know, was it a ram horn or was it a goat horn? And you said that also the angels use a horn as a writing instrument. Yeah, in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about the ink horn of the uh, of the uh, the angels. I believe that's in uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter nine, mm-hmm. and it's and it speaks about how they use an ink horn, and I guess. That's uh, an allusion to uh, them writing down the sins of those who were walking contrary to what Elohim wanted. Yeah, and they they used the ink horn. And uh, at least that's what they called it in the in the scriptures, the, the ink horn. The ink horn. Mm-hmm. So the basis said there's power in the writing. Yeah, it, it, not only was it power in the writing, but it was showing the you know one of the uses mm-hmm. that they made of the horn because uh, sometimes they made it where you can blow it and it had power in the message that they were blowing out. Mm-hmm. And then not only power in the writing, but they also used the horn, you know, to put oil in it mm-hmm. to give power or the anointing in the life. Yeah, uh, it gave authority, I guess, to the writings, but. Uh, they were coming from an instrument that was used for authority and power. Uh, so, um, so if it's coming, it's coming from a source of power, strength, and might. You know, it's interesting because too, when the uh, Hebrews. You know, I think the the horn is significant because they use the horn to sound uh, for war, for praise and everything and whatnot to us for assembly and everything, you know. Yeah, the horn horn was also used uh, when they made the sacrifice, they would blow the horn, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, you say when they made the sacrifice also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a number of occasions that they they blew the horn, Uh you know. The, the uses of the horn in in Israel 
was just like the uses of the internet in our day. Mm. I mean, they 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 just had a plethora of things they did by the horn. I mean, you just you knew the horn just, just like we know the internet today because yeah. that was a means of communication. Wow. So, man, it's just interesting because it seems like whatever y'all do, there is uh, a significance and a meaning behind it. He just doesn't do anything just because there's always a deeper meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, too, uh, I wanted to ask, too, is there any significance when it comes to the four corners? Because I noticed he had the four corners and then he scattered his children into the four corners. And it just makes me wonder, is this earth in the shape of four corners? It probably is until the flood came and it may kind of distorted things, but it probably did. But uh-huh. when you look at ancient Israel, you know, they had, uh, when you look at the sanctuary and how it was laid out, uh-huh. <clears throat> they had tribes on the north and the south and the east and the west. Uh-huh. So those horns pointed to each one of the uh all of the tribes, because mm. all 12 tribes, they were located around the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting that when you look at the tribes that are around the sanctuary, that uh, it made the form of a cross. Mm. And when you add up the number of the people that were on the east side, and you add up the number on the west I mean, on the north and the south side, mm-hmm. they were different from the number of people on the east. And then when you na- na- numbered the people on the west side, it was different from that of the east. I think the, if I'm not, if I recall correctly in the book of Numbers, I think the most people, they were on the east side of the tabernacle. Tabernacle was on the center. Mm-hmm. And then on the west side, you had uh, a number of people, but it was not as much as the east. And then on the north side and the south side, they were not as much as the east as well. You know, they were kind of equal. And and like I said, the west was not quite as much uh, as the east and when you looked at the format, it looked like a cross. Mm. And so when they had the altar and it had four corners, mm-hmm. that meant that the sacrifice was for all four corners or for all of the tribes that surround the sanctuary, which was Israelites. Mm-hmm. And he said all of the Israelites, through the power of the blood on the altar, you you can have power over sin, all mm. 12 tribes. So I think it had something to do with the location of the tribes. Wow. Wow. Because it, it does make sense, you know, with the way a horn is angled to be able to uh, point to, you know, north, south, east, and west, mm. you know, as you cover. Wow. And so what would you, uh, next week, uh, what are you going to be bringing next week? Well, next week, what we want to bring is just like they had a ministry mm-hmm. in the courtyard of the sanctuary. Then they also had another ministry on the inside of the sanctuary tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And we want to see how the blood is appropriated or applied in the in the in the in the uh, 
the uh, inside of the sanctuary, and we want to see how the blood is is atoning in that in that section there. In the inside, so we're going from the mm -hmm. outside to the inside. Mm -hmm. of the to the inside. So we dealt with the first ministry in the court. Now we're going to do it next week, Lord's will. We'll be dealing with the ministry on the inside of the sanctuary. Okay. So definitely you want to come back. If you've been richly blessed with the outside, about to learn more about the inside and the science of the sacrifice. And with that, we'll go to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So this week, as I stated last week, I kind of wanted to uh, talk about leaven because Passover is coming up in a few weeks. And as you know, the scripture said we should get rid of the leaven out of our home. So we want to dig in and discuss and ask some questions about leaven. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me into Exodus, the 12th chapter, and we're going to read verses 17 through 20. That's Exodus, the 12th chapter. And we're going to read verses uh, 17 through 20. And it reads, And ye shall observe the feast of... I just want a second. Okay. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month on the fourteenth day of the month at even ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twelfth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leaven, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Yasharel. Whether he be stranger or born in the land, ye shall eat nothing leavened, in all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. So, with that, we want to uh, have some discussion and some questions regarding leaven. Uh, so, some of the things I've learned that are considered leavened bread. Uh, well, first, I want to read what one of our listeners stated that has emailed. They state, leaven is a substance that is used in dough to make it rise. Examples of leaven are baking powder, baking soda, and yeast. Examples of food containing leaven, bread. Muffins, pancakes, waffles, crepes, homemade cookies, cupcakes, cakes, brownies, and cereals. And those are a few things that contain leaven. Now, I was also reading from this article that somebody wrote on Shabbat.org. And they say, what is Kemet's? Chemet's, I believe it is. Um, Comet. Comets. That's Comets, which is mm -hmm. uh, Hebrew for 11. Yeah, that's Hebrew for leaven. Okay. Now, they said any food that's made of grain and water that have been allowed to ferment and rise. And they said bread, cereal, cakes, cookies, pizza, pasta, and even beer. We don't drink beer, but, you know. Um, but these are foods that contain grain and grain derivatives 
that they consider, uh, what's that again, comets? Uh, comets, yeah, comets. that's uh, considered leaven, uh, that which has leaven in it, or leaven, leaven itself, when anything spoils, mm -hmm. uh, that can produce a leaven effect. Okay. Mm -hmm. It produce a leaven effect. Okay. Yeah, like you yeah, have like grape juice or something, you let it spoil, it turn to uh, alcoholic uh, beverages, something like that. That mm -hmm. could be comets. Okay. So one of my questions then is, okay, uh, going by what this guy has said in an article about comets, he said, basically he's saying with grain. So would... I'm not sure it's baking powder and baking soda, which uh, is 11 from my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, if that's not associated with grain, is that considered leaven that we should also get rid of out of our household during Passover time? Well, let me, let me understand your question first. Uh, you're saying he's saying that comets can be associated with grains Mm -hmm. But as he also saying that if it doesn't have anything to do with grains, that it's not uh, comets. Pretty it's not yeah. Eleven. Yes. Because well, he, he's basically question. just saying that uh, the grain, it, for it to be uh, considered comets, is that uh, it has to be associated with some type of grain. And for no, my, no, it doesn't, no, it doesn't have to be associated with grain. It has to be associated with uh, 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 an agency that causes this thing to rise. Okay. Now, I don't know what grain soda comes from. What, you, you know, what grain of soda comes Soda? Baking soda. Soda is an element, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't come from a grain. No. So that, that's the question. So if it, if it doesn't, if, if soda comes from an element, is that still considered a leaven that needs to be removed from your home? Because I know a lot of times, uh, yeah, you do put baking. For baking soda to really work and activate, sometimes you have to have baking powder, uh, especially when it comes to cakes and cookies. And also some people use, you know, uh, baking soda to clean their vegetables, to wash their vegetables, to get some of the uh, insecticides off. So the question is, is that something also baking soda we need to rid our house of uh, during Passover? Well, it says you shouldn't lose any anything that causes leaven. Okay. Now, if we go back to his, if we go back to his definition mm -hmm. that it has to be associated with grain, uh, is he saying that it has to ferment mm -hmm. yes. according to the grain? Yes. Oh well, I wouldn't. Well, I. You may you may have a you may have a problem with that because if you you saying that it has to be connected with a grain, then the grains that they use to make bread, mm -hmm. like uh, unleavened bread. Now during Passover they have you got the barley bread, yeah, and then later on in Pentecost you got the wheat bread. And all of those are particular grains, but if they have not fermented, they are not uh, uh, leaven to cause anything to rise. But what I'm saying is, 
if you got that bread and you didn't put uh, and you put soda in it, mm-hmm. you would cause it to rise. So I'm saying okay. if here's you got an element that is not a part of a plant or a grain that causes something to rise, mm-hmm. then his definition would be faulty because that would that would that would mean that if it's not he don't consider an eleven if it's not a part of a grain, that would mean that you could use soda in making your bread. And if you did that, you would cause the bread to rise. But but um does adding baking soda like okay, uh if you add baking soda to some flour with some water, is that gonna be enough to activate it to make it rise? Because I've never did that. Yeah, but it's uh only thing about baking soda is sort of it acts somewhat like yeast. Uh-huh. You know, now uh yeast is used mostly people use yeast. I'm not sure how many people use soda now let you because look at hmm. because the thing like when you when you put yeast in water, uh yeast will start to activate it in foam, which is the agent once you mix it with the flour, it ferments start to ferment the flour quicker. But with baking soda it I, it seems like it needs another agent outside of water to activate it to make it to foam, you know. Yeah. Well, well, only thing about it, I don't know. Uh, you have to read the compound. Mm-hmm. Now, what does baking powder have in it? Uh, baking soda. Uh, only thing I know, baking soda is sodium bicarbonate. No, I'm saying, what does baking powder have in it? Uh, I know. I don't, I'm not 100% sure of everything, but I know part sodium bicarbonate also. There's a little bit of that in there, and I'm not sure okay. what else. Okay, so I would, I, my analogy would simply be this. Mm-hmm. Whether soda fully causes the rise mm-hmm. or the baking powder without the soda may cause the rise, and if you put the two leaven agents together, they may cause the rise higher. Mm-hmm. But my thing would be, if it's a part of an ingredient, or if it is the ingredients itself, mm-hmm. if it causes anything to rise, it shouldn't be there. So with you saying that for the vegetarians out here, is eggs another one that should not be that should not be in your home during Passover? Because eggs is eleven also that people put in things to rise. I haven't heard that. How does it? I know people make pancakes, but mm-hmm. I don't see where the pancakes rise when they put eggs in it. Uh, it it does fluff up. You know, like if you know it's a pancake, a pancake because you have like pancakes and crepes, which is almost kind of the same thing. And crepes are a little bit more th- thinner and flatter, but with when it uh. Pancakes, they do fluff up and get bigger. Well, I've seen pan. Well, you may be correct, but what I'm saying is, I've seen pancakes cooked with uh, milk and eggs, and I've seen pancakes cooked with eggs and water, mm-hmm. and they look the same to me now. But if you're saying eggs is eleven agents, which I'm not aware of, but let's take what you say uh, to really look at what you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
if we say that eggs is 11 agents, then I think in my estimation, those who have been practicing the Passover for years, hundreds of years, they have always used eggs. Mm -hmm. So their traditions today, as well as yesterday, must be nil and void because they they've been having led uh, uh, they've been having uh, leaven in their food for I don't know how long now. Mm. Because most even when we go to like I live here in Oak Park and they got a lot of uh, Jewish synagogues and they keep Passover mm-hmm. and they even have stores in which you can get your Passover stuff, which we often go to get our Passover stuff from. Mm-hmm. And two of the things that you're going to see in the cart of the, that they have is white milk and mm-hmm. eggs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and they, there's a certain bread that they make with the eggs because even the recipes that they have, they call for eggs. So if they, and, and when they make the, they, they got some kind of bread that when you make the dough, you braid the bread. I forget mm-hmm. the name of it. And they braid it. And then when they cook it in the oven, it comes out in a braided form. But it's been cooked with eggs. So the question that I would ask then, what is it mm-hmm. in the egg that caused the leaven? Is it the yolk of the egg or is it the white of the egg? Well, I know... Uh... For instance, a cake, if you were not to put eggs uh, generally in a cake, it's not going to rise as high as with eggs in a cake. Because one of the things uh, me and my daughter found out was uh, when she makes a vegan cake without eggs, it doesn't rise as high as cakes we see in pictures that were made with eggs. You know, mm. so well, mm. well, I know in our house, uh, even for mom passed, she used to make cakes and they were quite tall. She, you know, but she didn't, she didn't use, uh, well, let me see, maybe I may not, I can't use that analogy, but I know, well, I know she didn't, she didn't, she didn't use eggs, but I know she got a pretty large cake. I mean, but, her cakes, mom's cakes were high. But I think mm-hmm. if you were to compare it with cakes that um, weren't made, case in point, like it's when she made, when mom made a pound cake, um, it was, and she, she, when she used to make it with eggs, it was higher than when she was making it vegan and all. It, w- it wouldn't, be, it will rise, but it still wouldn't rise to the extent of a, a, a non-vegan cake. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she, let me see. I, I was trying to think. I don't for Passover. I think she mostly made something like apple crisp. I don't know if she yeah. made a cake, but I do know that she made cakes. They were they were they they didn't have eggs in them, but they were certainly pretty large. Mm-hmm. You know, I, no eggs was used, but I don't know. It all depends on I guess how you cook it. Well, I, but it'd be I, interesting I, to know the ingredients that causes the rising in there. Yeah, because I know uh, with without eggs in a cake at all, uh, 
you're not going to get a cake that rise, even just with baking soda and baking powder. It'll rise a little, but it's not going to rise to the extent of with eggs. And, and the thing, even with vegan cakes, they are putting substances in the mixes to kind of react similar to eggs and everything, you know. Um, we have another question that came in. Okay, now when it comes to leaven, they ask, what are we to do with foods that contain leaven? Uh, should we throw them in the garbage? So that that's my other question. Like, uh, we don't spend money on leavening products, and we need to rid our house. Is this something that we throw into the trash, or sometimes is it okay uh, if you was to package them up and maybe put them in a car that's not in the house, or give it to a neighbor who doesn't believe? Uh, what are some options? Well, that that would be up to the individual how you get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But let me read this, and then you tell me what you think of this. Okay. In the same chapter that you've read, Exodus 12, let me see, Exodus 12, verse 19 says, Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. Okay. For whosoever eateth that which is leaven, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he be a stranger or be born in the land. So here it's saying it shouldn't even be in the house. You know, it's like you asking me, when should you keep the Sabbath? Uh -huh. Should you start keeping the Sabbath a half an hour before the Sabbath comes? Should you start a 45 minutes or an hour? Uh -huh. I don't know what you do in your household. All the Bible says is when the Sabbath comes, you ought to be ready. It didn't give us how much time. It's just saying be ready. This text is not telling us how to dispose of it. He said just have it out of your house. Now, however you choose to get it out of your house is up to you. Okay. Because if, all right, let us say if I did tell you how to get it out of your house, uh -huh. and somebody say, well, uh, I didn't do it that way. And then somebody said, well, Richard said that's the way you do it. Well, wait a minute. Richard's word is not the Bible's word. Uh -huh. You know, just yeah. because I did it that way don't mean you have to do it that way. Uh -huh. But the whole thing is, when he look in your house, is it out of your house? <laughs> well, I guess then, uh, yeah, is it out of your house? So, then the question is, too, I guess we have to decide what do we consider a house? Do we consider the house just the inside orifice or do we include also the lot that the house is on and the outside part, too? You know, well, let's yeah. look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about the house. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, uh, in the Bible, a house is, I think, at least three things that a house is. Mm -hmm. OK. <clears throat> The first thing that a house is, is the location where a person is. Uh -huh. That's where they reside. Okay. They call that a house, okay? Okay. Number one. Number two, a house is the family that you're in. You can have the house of David. Uh 
the house of Jacob. Mm -hmm. You're going to have the house of David, the house of uh, Jacob, the house of Leah. That's the family. That's the house. And then you got a third thing they call a house, and that's the house of Elohim, which we often call the house of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when he said, take the leaven out of the house, I think he's saying, take it out of where you live, take it out of your body, which mm -hmm. is represented by the house. Well, actually, that's four reasons when you deal with your body. Mm -hmm. You take it out of your body, you're taking it saying, take it out of your family, and take it out of your church, or take it out of the house of Elohim. All right, the house of Elohim is where you worship, and the house of Elohim is also your human body that he wants to put his Holy Spirit in. Mm. And he said, take it out of your house, which is all four of them. Take it out of there. Okay. Don't want it in there. So we need to get rid of it uh, out of our house, period. Yeah. And what the question that the person is asking is, how do we get rid of it? Mm. That's up to you. He just said, get it out of the house. Now, I could take all my stuff and put it in a plastic bag and put it out there for the trash man to pick up. Mm -hmm. Another person may take it and put it in, in next door neighbor and get it after Passover. I don't, I don't know how you do it, bro, man. But what I'm saying is I think he gives us room to exercise our minds that when he says something, just get it out of the house. But, you know, the other question, too, um, as far as giving it to a neighbor, should we even be giving it to a neighbor? Because, um, cause where it seems like, what is it? Uh, when, when it even says in verse 19, whether he be a stranger or born in the land that you're supposed to get it out. So should we even give it to a neighbor to hold on? Well, what I was quoting is what some people do. Yeah. I'm not saying you should, Mm -hmm. But that's when I'm saying you have to reason it out yourself, because if leaven represents sin, yeah, are you saying you're gonna give sin to your neighbor? Tech technically, that's <laughs> what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so I can I can I can just inject this if it might help mm -hmm. an individual. Is that what we try to do around here? Make sure we eat up everything yeah. that got leaven and what has leaven. Mm -hmm. Make sure we get rid of that when, when the day comes. Yeah, and, and you so know. You got anything leaven now, eat all that up. Yeah. And then when by the time the day comes, just don't buy no more until yeah. after the Passover is over. And you, and you know, I'm glad you said that because I generally try to do that myself. Start thinking about it like at the beginning of the uh not biblical year but uh the gregorian year calendar we go by like january i try to start taking inventory then of what products i have eleven because i know three to four months can fly by real quickly mm -hmm. so try to start may not buying much yeast or any at all during that time or different leavening agents so it won't if i have to throw these things out it's not that much of a financial hit because I don't have that much on hand, if any on hand at all, during that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think this is something that the family has to get together on and yeah. be able to work together and, and work it out. Yeah. Uh, I can give you suggestions, but the only thing Elohim said, and I can't go no further than what he said, 
he just said, get it out of the house. And I think he leaves room enough for us to use that which he has given us to think through it and to be able to logically reason it out. Yeah. Now we have a, another question. Could some cleaning solutions like Comet not be used during the feast? Um, now, uh, um, how are they not com um, confusing Comet with Comets? Shamets? Uh, those are two different things. Well, you know. what what is the question? Uh, could some cleaning solutions like Comet not be used during the feast? I think they're talking about Comet cleaning powder. That's not really a leaven agent. That's a cleaning chemical made from chemicals. Okay, so what they asked about Comet, that cleanser, mm -hmm. could it be used in in cleaning? Mm -hmm. Um, well, uh, and I don't know. If, for, for, before you get into too, um, as if that applies to baking soda, because baking soda can be used to clean also. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, what I was about to say is that uh, what we're looking at, and we want to get into too many scenarios, is that we're not talking about cleaning. Mm -hmm. He specifically says. Eating yeah. is limited to eating. Okay, now, if you want to extend it to cleaning products, if, if it is a cleaning agent that you're concerned about, they got many cleansers that you can use natural uh, fruits and stuff that they use to clean stuff without, if... Comet or Balboa or or whatever cleanser you use, Ajax, if they have it in there and there is a concern that they have a leaven agent, even though you're not eating it, but you're cleaning, they have a number of natural things you can clean with without even using those, if that is a concern. But I, I don't see that that has anything to do with eating. Okay. Um, and we have... Another question. Um, second. And, and it reads First uh, Corinthians fifteen forty six says, Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and after that which is spiritual in first Corinthians five, eight says, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The Hebrews before Yeshua removed all the natural physical slash literal leaven from their homes during Passover. Isn't Paul in fearing that now after Yahushua's death and resurrection, it is no longer to remove the natural physical slash literal leaven, but we should keep the feast spiritually with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, 
Okay, now, let's go back over that. Now, you gave 1 Corinthians 15, what? 46. Okay, and they are connecting that with the Passover? Yes, that's what it says. Okay, let's see what the connection is. You said 1546? Yes, 1546. Okay, let's look at that first, and then we'll go back. It said, how be it? That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and after that, which is spiritual. Okay. Now, I'm not sure how that tie in with what Paul. Now, what was the other verse you gave? First uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter five, verse eight. Okay. Now that says, therefore, let us keep the feasts. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so, uh, so what are we saying is that in verse 46 of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you're saying, how be it, that was not first which is spiritual, Okay, but that which was natural. So you're saying the natural thing mm -hmm. was first, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just surmising that you're saying the natural thing that was first was actually the literal bread, and then you're saying the spiritual was second, which would be the bread of sincerity and truth. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I'm picking up from with the questions. Okay, now... Uh, I guess you could equate that there, even though in that particular 15th chapter, it's talking about Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam. Mm -hmm. The first Adam, who was Yeshua, he was spiritual first and then natural. The, the Adam that was made in the Garden of Eden, put in the Garden of Eden, he was made natural first and then he was made spiritual. But if you apply that to this, then what are we looking at? Okay. So it sounds like what you're saying, because you're dealing with the natural and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is not the natural, but the spiritual. So therefore, you don't have to worry about getting the leaven out of your house as far as physical, but spiritual, it should be out of the house. Mm -hmm. Okay, now there's two school of thoughts on that. There are some people who keep Passover and they say you don't have to take it out of the house. And I, I know people who are keeping Passover uh, and one spouse believes they need to get everything out of the house and the other spouse believes it's no need to get it out as long as you do it spiritually. That's one school of thought. Now the other school of thought is is that if you have the spiritual, usually the spiritual component has a physical component with it. Just like you hear people say, well, one of the reasons why I don't keep the feast days is because they are spiritual. So since they're spiritual, I don't have to keep the, uh, I don't have to speech, keep the feast days because I do it spiritually. But my point is, how do you know what spiritual is until you get to the literal actual days that is to be kept. Mm -hmm. Just like I could tell 
if you say, just like I know many Sabbath keepers, they don't keep the feast days. So if you say you keep the feast days spiritual, I can say I keep the Sabbath spiritual, so I don't have to keep the seventh day as long as I keep it spiritually. Well, but the spiritual is generally based upon the physical, just like man. Man was made physical, and then he was made spiritual. So the physical and the spiritual go together. And the, and the, and the second reason why we get rid of both of them, both spiritually and physically, is because they go together. There are a lot of people that say, you know, spiritual things are spiritual and physical things are physical. But they but they go together. Just like people say, well, you know, Elohim ain't looking looking at me because I smoke. Because if I smoke, that's physical. They ain't got nothing to do with the spiritual. That's because they separate the physical and the spiritual. But even the Bible says, whatsoever you put in your temple, mm -hmm. that it should be to the glory of Elohim. Mm -hmm. So that's physical and spiritual. So you have to choose what school you want. I'm not dogmatic on how you do it because when I look at it for myself, I have to weigh it and say, you know, if I put something into my in my body physically to defile it, it's going to be defiled, and that defilement is going to overlap on the spiritual. So if I clean myself spiritually, I mean physically, then I'm going to also be clean spiritually because the way a person is physically to a larger sense, that's how they are spiritual. So, to um, if it was just spiritual, uh, when when it mentions in Exodus uh, twelve seventeen that the ordinance is forever, uh, so that means physical and spiritual forever. That we should keep mean, the feast of unleavened bread, how we do it, and, and the ordinance he gave us on how to do it. That, and he said it's forever. That we should not only just keep it physically, but also spiritually forever. That we get rid of the leaven out of our homes. Yeah. Well, what I'm looking at is, uh, what I'm looking at is the principle of what what you are saying uh -huh. is that while we are in this earth, when we look at the leaven, and we say the old leaven. Okay, now, let me ask you this. If you take this text uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, uh -huh. when it said, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven. What is the old leaven? Okay, then you goes on to say, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, okay, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, now, he's equating this leaven with malice and wickedness. That's what he's equating it with. Mm -hmm. Then he goes on to say about the matzah, which is the unleavened bread. The matzah, he says, is the bread of sincerity and truth. So that's what he says is sincerity and truth. Now, that principle there could be taken for eternity, Mm -hmm. Not just the literal bread and the literal uh, 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 doing away and, and the literal eating of the matzah. Mm -hmm. You know that that could that that could be done away with in eternity, but the principle that is laid out here 
for the spiritual leaven, which is malice and wickedness, you want to get rid of that forever. But the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that's what you want to keep forever. So, yes, I think that would go on forever. Mm -hmm. But when you get to bread, literally, uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be eternally due to the fact that it says the old leaven. And when it says the old leaven, it is not even talking about bread. Mm -hmm. It's not even talking. It is talking about malice and wickedness. So if we go by this text, mm -hmm. we, ain't, we, are not, we are not even talking about literal bread. Just like when Yeshua was, was talking to his disciples, he says, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and the first thing they thought about, they say, oh, it's because we didn't bring no bread. And then they discovered that he wasn't talking about the bread that you ate because when he fed the multitude, he said, how many baskets did you take up? And they says they took up so many. Mm -hmm. And then they discovered he was not talking about literal bread. He was talking about the doctrines that the Pharisees and they were teaching. It was false doctrine, which is also called leaven. Mm. Okay, that ain't going to go on forever. But the true doctrine of bread, that symbolized bread, that's going to go on forever. So, yes, it will go on forever. But that's talking about the spiritual part of it mm -hmm. and not the physical. Well, I want to thank everyone for this discussion. I thank you for all the questions that you emailed or text in and your comments was really appreciated. I think it was really good to get a more understanding on Levin as we get ready to approach of what we need to do to uh, remove the Levin, not only physically, but also spiritually as we get ready to, uh, celebrate the Passover of this year. So with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out another podcast? I love it, Father, again. We're just so thankful that we can be able to broadcast again. Thank you that technology, O Heavenly Father, was in our favor. Thank you, O Heavenly Father, for the things that we've learned and the questions, Lord, that stimulates our mind to be able to understand what we're doing in such a way, O Heavenly Father, we can be a practical within our lives. Help us not only to be learners, but to be doers. And as we anticipate the Passover, O Heavenly Father, that Thou would prepare our homes, our families, our bodies, and the places that we worship, O Heavenly Father, that they may be free from the things that should not be there. Thank you for each one, O Heavenly Father, who has participated. And most of all, O Heavenly Father, we thank you for guiding and directing us in the things that we should and should not do. So we ask that continuous blessing upon those, O Heavenly Father, who have taken time to be able to come in with us, that they may be blessed. Bless their finance, bless their going in and their coming out, and most of all, bless their spiritual life, that it may be in harmony with what you would have it to be. So as we strive daily to be what you would have us to be, let it be, O Heavenly Father, that our footsteps are leading towards the kingdom of Elohim. So bless us as we look forward to another week, and we ask that you would give us a Sabbath day's blessing that we can be able to take with us because we have been refreshed, renewed, and revitalized in such a way 
that we have been recreated, O Heavenly Father, on this, your holy Sabbath day, to give us the sanctification that we need. Continue to be with those who have had sick and shed in, and those who have experienced death. Be with those, O Heavenly Father, who does not have the, the resources that they need, that you will see that we and others may be able to provide for them, that they too may have the life, O Heavenly Father, that they know that somebody cares. So now we give you our, we give you our lives, and we ask that you will make them over. And when thou dost come, we can meet you in peace. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So that is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments after watching this, please feel free to email us through the week or email us Saturday morning before we get ready to come on air or even during while we're on air, we're going to try to get to your question and comment as always email us at science of the covenant at gmail.com. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Matthew 25, 10 until next week. Shalom.